happy UFC pay-per-view fight week. The first UFC pay-per-view of 2023. I am Colby Daniels along with Will Brewer. Hope everyone's having a great week. Will, pay-per-view fight week. You asked me the question last week. How excited was I for UFC 283? Um, I am at a much different level of excitement this week now that we've reached fight week than I was a week ago. How are you, my friend? I'm uh, fantastic. I mean, what a way to start 2023. Uh, with all of the news and, and then you hear all of the uh, fight announcements and everything, we are going to be treated to a phenomenal year. And we thought 2022 was awesome. Uh, 2023 looks like it's just going to be very, very much elevated from 2022. So I'm excited. Uh, it, it's fight week. It's the first fight week of the year. And with the way that it's looking, this might be the lightest fight card of the year. And that's... <laughs> That's a that's a good yeah. thing. I mean, because in comparison to what 270 was, I mean, the fight cards got better gradually as the, as the year went on. But I feel like you've got 283, and then 284 is awesome. The, the the headliner is awesome. 285, I mean, the headliner is amazing. 286, I mean, the co-main and the main event is outstanding. I mean, that's only the first three months. So I mean, what else are we going to get? So I, I'm just ecstatic. I, I mean, you can tell. I, I mean, yeah. I'm just rambling now, but yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm hyped. 2023 is going to be sensational. I mean, the fact that we're going to have this Brazil card, which, look, whether you love this uh, this card or not, the one thing I will say is this is going to be an incredible atmosphere, and if you're not aware of maybe some of the names on this card or you don't love the matchups, at least give it a chance because I feel like the, the just uh, out-for-blood type mentality that will be within this atmosphere is going to give us some spectacular fights and maybe some spectacular finishes. So the atmosphere on its own for this card is going to be fantastic. Uh, the fact that we have a Brazilian in every fight is going to be fantastic. But like you said, the next pay-per-view card is pound-for-pound, pound, number one versus pound-for-pound, pound, number two, for the 155 championship, the division that I think is the best in the sport. Then you get to UFC, what would that be, 285. By the way, before I talk about 85 and 86, maybe the UFC is trying to steal some thunder from March Madness because the month of March is going to be, like, I, I guess that's uh, probably copyrighted, so maybe they need to go, like, March Mayhem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the good. UFC in March, holy cow, dude. The fact that we're going to have those two pay-per-views two weeks apart in the month of March, 85 and 86, going to be just absolutely sensational. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't think you can book a, a better two-card lineup than, than John Jones, Cyril Gaon, and then follow that up with Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman. I mean, it, it's a, it's amazing. And then in April, they're going to Brooklyn, so I'm sure they'll stack that card as well, but I mean, for it to be Jones gone, Leon, Usman, and then you add in the London atmosphere to that, I mean, it's going to be outstanding. I, I can't wait. Uh, March is incredible, man. But uh, like you said, pound for pound number one versus pound for pound number two, like that's kind of getting overshadowed by the return yeah. of John Jones, the rematch with uh, Leon and Usman. I mean, this the, the beginning of this year, it's, it's amazing. And then you compare that to the beginning of last year when you had – Francis and Surreal, but the card was kind of eh. Then you had Izzy and Rob, but the, the rest of the card was kind of, it was okay. Then you had Covington Masvidal and, uh, after that. And that card was like, eh. So, I mean, now the UFC's like, all right, 2022 was what it was. We're raising the stakes in 2023. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think when you look at some of the matchups that are coming up, and as you just said, pound for pound number one versus pound for pound number two in the sport is being completely overshadowed. Like, I might make the argument, I've heard more people talk about their excitement level for Justin Gaethje versus Rafael Fazeev at 155 than Alexander Volkanovsky versus Islam Mahashev at 155, right? And that probably just speaks to the, the styles 
and the entertaining aspect that those guys bring versus the two champions who, you know, for I think a, a lot of their careers have been somewhat overlooked and undervalued because they're not necessarily the uh, the highlight type of guys. Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. I mean, when you when you think about Gaethje, the, I think the guy's got a performance of the night or fight of the night in every single fight he's ever been in. I mean, the guy is just a bonus machine. Uh, Rafael Vaziv has just been a highlight. I mean, you called Gaethje the, the highlight, but Rafael Vaziv is a, is a highlight. I mean, what he did to RDA, what he did to um, uh, Brad Brad Riddell, I mean, that 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 fight has fight of the year written all over it. Volkanovski and and, and uh, Mahashev, that's that's pound for pound number one versus pound for pound number two. I mean, this the I don't think we really know what we're going to see in that fight. I mean, there's, there's a lot of questions, and as much as you want to get excited, the smart money would be like you kind of know what's what what's going to happen, what you think was going to happen with Islam being the bigger guy. Uh, you, we've seen what he's done to regular lightweights, uh, you know, around the sport. But Volk has been has been flawless in the UFC. So I mean, the story is there. I mean, you, the guy got into the octagon after Islam won the title. So I mean, like a, a lot of the stuff is there. But I think there's just so many questions. But like, you know what you're going to get with Gaethje and, and Rafael Vizier. You know you're going to get fireworks. Uh, it's going to yeah. be it's going to be entertaining from start to finish. Uh, I can't wait for that fight. I can't believe that fight is on is on tap. Like we're going to see. Justin Gaethje, Rafael Vizive, and Leon and Usman in the same night. Like, what What the hell? Dude, we're going <laughs> to listen to this. We're going to see Justin Gaethje versus Rafael Fazeev in London in the O2. Oh, my gosh. If there's any if there's any crowd that you want to see a fight of the year type of fight yes. in, it is the it is O2 Arena in London. Those fans, those fans are going to go crazy if it's uh, Derek Brunson and freaking Jack Hermanson. And if, if, if that was the fight that was on tap, that crowd would be going insane. Yes. But the fact that it's Justin Gaethje and Rafael Vazeev, I didn't even think about that. Like, that's just going to make this fun. Like, I think you just pencil that in. Fight of the year, Justin Gaethje, Rafael Vazeev, just pencil that in. If if any crowd on this earth ever deserved Gaethje Fazeev, it's, it's London O2 crowd. One one thousand percent, because they're already going to be drunk, and then you you put the, you put a fight like that in front of them, it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be chaos, chaos in the cage, yeah. chaos outside of the cage. And at that point, they will still have the anticipation for Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman in the main event. And I would imagine by that point, like I don't know, I, I haven't seen the entirety of that card, but you know, maybe Patty is on that on that card, maybe uh, Molly McCann, or you know, so, like some of Arnold Allen, who knows, but. Maybe you've already got a riled up crowd just from all the uh, the Brits that have already had sensational performances. Either way, I mean, even if that was the first fight of the card, in that arena, in front of that crowd, Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fazeev is going to be absolute electricity. Um, we have not even hit yet on the biggest news in MMA right now, and that is the heavyweight division in the UFC, as this weekend we learned that it will be the return of John Jones after a three-year absence to face Surreal Gone for the undisputed UFC championship, heavyweight championship, which also means that Francis Ngannou has been stripped of the heavyweight title. Francis Ngannou and the UFC have parted ways. The UFC releasing the statement that they had released Francis Ngannou, released his name from the roster. Uh, Francis Ngannou now a free agent looking for new opportunities. So much to unpack with this entire scenario, Will. Where do you want to start? Ooh, I, I mean, I guess you have to start with uh, I mean, it's good that Francis stuck to his guns, uh, that he he's obviously standing for something, standing on something. And no matter how much money the UFC wanted to throw at him, uh, he didn't that he didn't budge off of what he was what, what he really wanted out of this. Um, 
the UFC, I know the UFC, they gave him money that I'm sure that the, the, the highest paid heavyweight in, in the UFC history, I'm sure that was on the table. I, I don't think they're lying about that. Uh, but I think when, when you hear the press conference of Dana White and he's talking about uh, Francis wants to fight lesser competition, like we know how Dana White is. We've, yeah. we've heard an, enough pre- of Dana White's press conferences to be like, that's not completely the truth. He, he, will, he will leave stuff out. He will bend details. He'll leave details out. Uh, we just know how to, that's how Dana White is. So for him to come out and say that Francis is looking for lesser fights, he wants to fight lesser competition, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, he doesn't want to fight John Jones, he doesn't want to fight Cyril Gunn, he doesn't want to fight Stipe Miocic? That's bullshit. Like, Francis is the scariest, baddest man on the planet. He's fought everyone that you that you put in front of him for the last five five or so years. Francis isn't scared of none of these guys. So for the fact that Dana White would say that, like, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and then just, to, you know, they say, like, he's free to sign wherever he wants. He's free to do whatever he wants. It, it kind of seemed like the UFC feels like the U- that Francis needed the UFC, and I'm sure he's on that mission now to prove that he that, that he doesn't need the UFC. The UFC did a, a, a bad job of marketing him, and I'm sure wherever he goes, whether it be BKFC, whether it be PFL, whether it be uh, Bellator, or if it's a boxing fight, they're going to market him as the scariest heavyweight of all time or that knockout power that he possesses. Uh, I mean, there's like, like you said, there's just so much to unpack. I'm I'm just glad that Francis stuck to his guns and didn't let the money uh, be, be what got him back. Like you'll see other fighters, Israel Adesanya. I'm not gonna say like he's in the same boat as Francis, but like he got paid a pretty penny. And you know, uh, when he said he said that he's probably up there with Conor when it comes to money, and that he kind of left it at that. Jorge Masvidal, like he he was talking about fighter pay for a long time, but once the, the, those dollars came, you don't really hear much more out of Masvidal. But with Francis. The money came, and he didn't take it. So I think it says a lot about Francis. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I feel like we could go back in the archives and pull out the January 2022 UFC 270 episode and probably copy and paste a lot of those conversations into this one because, you know, it it felt like at that point the UFC was doing him dirty uh, on the verge of, you know, at that point them trying to get a contract extension and the conversations around his boxing and the final year of his contract and the lack of promotion and the fact that they put him on this this pay-per-view fight card with very little star power to help the numbers. I mean, it was it was all very shocking, which, by the way, Will, I, I even saw the UFC put out something today in terms of pay-per-view buys for 2022, and they put three different cards out to kind of show the difference in pay-per-view, pay-per-view, pay-per-view buys. Good Lord, can't speak. <laughs> and uh, one of the ones they used on the low end was 270 with, with Francis. I, I think once again to to maybe like suggest that he's not moving the needle or I, you know, I don't know. Um, clearly they wanted to give him the giant contract because they value him and because he's a massive asset. Um, and if he would have signed it, you know, maybe the promotion ultimately goes up for him and maybe they work toward marketing him in that way. But, but since he beat Stipe and became the champion, they knew they only had one fight left in him. And, you know, it kind of felt like they were just, they were waiting until he signed a, a bigger deal to completely like sell out in terms of making him one of the biggest faces in the sport, um, which if he had signed this deal, I fully anticipate would have happened. I felt like they did him so dirty with UFC 270 and just the way all of that unfolded. And then you have him going this entire year um, because of the surgery and everything without fighting. Uh, and now all of a sudden 
Like, in some ways, I love the return of John Jones. In other ways, I feel like because the name John Jones is so big, it's going to, to severely mask the departure of Francis Ngannou. But uh, all that said, to your point, I'm, I'm glad he stuck to his guns. Here's the thing. He's going to make a lot of money where, wherever he goes, um, and he's going to be successful. And the question is, how successful will he be, and to what degree will that look bad on the UFC? Like, that's really the only question. Uh, he's going to have big moments. He's obviously a big name, and it's not like the guy's never going to fight again or never going to be seen or heard from again. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, he's going to be successful. He's going to make a lot of money, like you said. I think the ultimate thing that he could do is go out and actually have a boxing fight and actually get, get the job done. I think if that happens, his star is going to be so crazy. Um, that's, one, that's, that's the ultimate way to just shove it up uh, to the UFC, shove it to Dana and all these guys, uh, because it doesn't matter who he fights at heavyweight, but he's going after the big names, obviously, Fury, Joshua, uh, Deontay Wilder. These guys are making 30 million, 20 million per fight. Francis, if he only makes a fourth, uh, a fifth of that, he'll probably be satisfied. But I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, he talked about uh, the the difference of being an independent contractor and an employee, that type right. thing. Um, I think it's crazy how these fighters don't have health insurance, man. I mean, these guys are putting their livelihoods on the line every single time, uh, they, they step in there and for them to not even have any health insurance, I, I still find that crazy. Um, and then he, he, he mentioned uh, wanting to have a fighter representative in the board meetings. I think that's, that is a fantastic idea. Like why wouldn't you want to have someone who, in there who's got the fighter's best interests at heart? Because obviously the UFC doesn't have the best interests of the fighters at heart. They have the best interests of the UFC. Who's going to go in? Who, who has the fighter's best interest? I mean, of course, you have your manager go in there, but what can they do besides get you the best, like get you fights and everything? Who's actually going to go in there and fight for the for the fighters for, for things outside of fighting? Like you see, um, um, Stephen Bonner, who just recently passed away, God rest his soul, but he was obviously having some issues uh, the the last months of his life, and I, I I would like to think that if he had some some help, if the UFC uh, took care of their fighters better, we wouldn't see these types of cases. I mean, Stephen Bonner laid the foundation for what the UFC is today, and to see what he what became of him in the later stages of his life, it was just really, really sad to see. So who's going to have the best interest of the fighters at heart? I think that's very major that Francis won that in the contract, and the UFC just just said, oh, we don't do business that way. That, I think that's, that, that's just really, really poor, man. Um, they don't do business I mean, that way because they don't have to, and yeah, they're not yeah. going to do something they don't have to when that would hurt their bottom line, right? That's going to severely cut into their profit margins, and right now they're unbelievably profitable, and when you start going down that path, uh, it's only going to, to get worse and worse and worse, right? And it's going to grow and grow and grow, and um, yeah, it's, it's like I don't mean this in a negative way, but in terms of opening that door for the UFC, it's a slippery slope to, I think, other concessions maybe where they just see their dollars disappearing. And again, I'm, it's, uh, it's just the sad reality of a very vicious sport where, you know, the people in charge of it are, are uh, making tons and boatloads of dollars. Absolutely. I, you, know, you know what I wonder, man? Um, I wonder if there's going to become a time where, you know, the UFC is the biggest organization in the world, but Francis is the, the highest name fighter that's, that's left. But I wonder if that's going to become a time where 
the UFC being the, the, the biggest MMA promotion in the world is not going to be enough for, for these big-name fighters. I mean, we're already starting to see some fighters like the Shane Burgos of the world. Like, they see those dollars, and they'll be like, oh, the, the PFL is going to pay me X amount. I need to go over here. But there's some fighters who, who stick around the UFC just because that's the biggest organization in the world. But when is that not going to be enough? I feel like with the way that these fighters are treated, uh, and it's not all of them, right? Like, Conor McGregor's fine, Israel Adesanya. Like, the people that they want to take care of are going to be taken care of. But it's those those mid-level guys like the Shane Burgos. When is that not going to be enough? And then when is when are more high-level names going to uh, go the same route as – That's just – this is the first of many. I, I, I don't I, – see, I think I'm on the other side of that just because I think the way that the, the UFC and the sport for that matter is structured, I think it's really hard to have a max mass exodus of fighters that are the caliber of Francis Ngannou or have the name power or are at the right stage of their career to move the needle in that way because, like, like think about it in, in these terms, Will. Like, for the average fighter – you leaving doesn't do anything to the, to the UFC's bottom line, right? Like, it's going to take the Francis Ngannou's, it's going to take the Justin Gaethje's, the Dustin Poirier's, the the Israel Adesanya's, right? It's going to take Ma- the Max Holloway's, those caliber of guys, to ultimately, like, a mass exodus of those guys, I think, to shift any other promotion to a point where they could even rival the UFC. Even with that, I don't know that it would be enough, but, like, when is there going to be an opportunity where all of those guys with that sort of name power would be free agents, A, at the same time, and B, have enough weight behind their name when they are free agents to be able to capitalize. Because most of the time, by the time you become a free agent, you're probably not a champion, right? I mean, like, let's just put it in terms of, like, signing... We hear, like, five- and six-fight deals all the time, right? Like, how many guys are at an elite level for a six-fight period? Yeah, it's a very fair... uh, It's few. (laughs) Exactly. Like, so maybe at some point during that contract, you're like the guy, right? You might be at the top of the world. Maybe you're Tony Ferguson. And then you have, like, three fights left on your deal. And then, like, Gaethje, Oliveira, and Dariush happen. And then you leaving isn't, like, moving the needle at all in the way that it would have before. You know what I mean? So the way that the sport is structured just doesn't really allow for, you know, like, Francis and Izzy and Usman and... Volkanovsky and like you know the the ha- handful of the best of the best to all just say hey we're at the peak of our powers and we're free agents at the same time and we're all going to leave and and you know make enough noise that that potentially it dethrones the UFC I, I can't see it. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that any promotion would come out and and uh, dethrone the UFC. I'm more so saying like when are these fighters that are in the UFC just kind of want to take a different route, yeah. uh, whatever that whatever that is, because the UFC isn't. Uh, doing right by them because of the things that uh, that Francis is standing on, the the, the health insurance and right. uh, the pay and, and all that different stuff. Um, what I will say is the UFC has very very great timing. Like they know exactly when to lock these guys in for yeah. six, seven, eight fight deals. Like John Jones just just signed an eight fight deal. I don't I don't think John Jones is going to fight eight more times in the octagon. I, I I truly don't. If he does, that's incredible. But he just signed an eight fight deal. Uh, Mazadov signed a like a six fight deal before he fought Kobe Covington. Uh, Izzy signed a uh, like a long term deal before he fought. I, I believe it was Whitaker. So like they know exactly when to 
when, like when they're at their hottest, like you said, that's when they they're going to lock them in long term. And by the time it's over, you know they 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 basically gave all of their goods yeah. <laughs> throughout that throughout that contract. Um, it's so, also why you you serve somebody like Nate Diaz yeah. to Hamzat Shemaev on his way out the door, right? Oh God, absolutely. <laughs> Which completely backfired in their face, but like that's the way you that's the way you do business. Because if Nate had been completely mauled by Hamzat, like then it's like okay, yeah, well. There you go. And but I will say this: there are more fighters who are taking the risk to not re-sign with the UFC. Um, you you hear a lot of fighters in the in their pro fight uh, uh, interviews after they win talk about you know I, I bet on myself. Uh, the UFC came to me before this fight and wanted to uh, talk about a deal, but you know I wanted to bet on myself, and you you see that happen more often. So yeah. I wonder if that's if, if that's going to become something where people want to test you know the markets to see what their value is. Um, whenever they're at their hottest. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of these fighters uh, aren't going to stand on what Francis is standing on. They're going to see that dollar amount and be like, all right, well, you're throwing that, you're throwing that at me. I got to provide for my family. So That's right. um, there's not a lot of people who are going to stand on what Francis stands on. So, Well, and again, it, it becomes more about just being able to provide for your family, right? It's not that they don't believe the same things. It's just that you've got a family that you've got to put a, a roof over their head and, and food in their belly, right? And, and this and this is a lot of the times it's it's life changing money it's generational money uh, especially when you get to that upper echelon you're talking about you know a house and car you know all that all that good stuff uh, just being able to provide for your family I, I know that's probably what what what's most important but uh, yeah I mean there's not a lot of people who get this far right uh, with like with, with what Francis did he actually won the title defended the title and his contract was at the was at yeah. the peak at the end and he still uh was able to go this far without you know basically just having the UFC by their necks uh and now we're at this point so it's just it's just crazy man and they still tried to make him the highest paid fighter ever because they didn't want to lose him at that point after everything that had happened right I mean that just shows you like even with all of that they still wanted to give him more money than they've ever given a heavyweight to not lose him yeah, uh, and I mean the 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 market power, the market value of Francis, it's it's it sells itself. I mean, you can the knockouts this guy's had. Uh, he's the champion. He's only getting better. Uh, he beat Surogan on one leg. I mean, like he has so much going against him in that Surogan fight. Like I thought there was no way that this guy was going to be mentally strong enough yeah. to overcome all of that, and somehow he did that. So yeah, the UFC knows like this is the great, this is the best heavyweight in the world. And this is our most marketable heavyweight since Brock Lesnar. We should pay this guy, but it's, it's too late now. It, it, it's just too late. And it's sad to see because Francis should be fighting in the UFC against the best guys in the world. Yeah. He, uh, he was on with Ariel today. He did say that uh, Ariel kind of like put him in a like, give me your prediction type of thing. He thought that best prediction from him was because he is fielding offers that he would be back around the summertime. He wanted to get two fights in this year whether that's boxing or mma and then he thought probably the summertime fight would be a boxing match again just best prediction in terms of where where he is now so uh, and by the way he's he's his own manager he's negotiating all of this on his own yeah like like we were talking about before the show like francis is a very intelligent guy like he's not going to be uh, swayed one way by the by the big words or whatever that you know I'm sure the UFC likes to use. Francis is very intelligent. He knows what he's sta- what he's what he's standing for. I have a question for you though. If 
I'm not gonna say if you were Francis, but what do you think Francis should like? Where do you think uh, his first fight should be? Do you think it should be boxing? Do you think he should go into another MMA organization? What do you think? It depends on the fight he can get, I guess. I mean, if you could get Tyson Fury, I think the three boxing names he threw out were Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, and Deontay Wilder, although the Wilder thing I don't think is very realistic in terms of that even being a possibility. But, like, let's just say for the sake of argument that you could get either Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua in a boxing match this summer, that is by far the clear path before doing anything in MMA. Yeah, I'm 1,000% with you. I think it's, it has to be boxing. Uh, that's something that he's wanted to do uh, for so long. That's a that's an itch he wants to scratch. And then if it, if it is Tyson Fury, like the numbers, uh, I mean, it would be outstanding. It would be crazy uh, the amount of business that Francis and Tyson Fury would do. And even if it's Joshua in France or something like that, like that would be yeah. a, that would be crazy. So yeah, I think it has to be. If if it can happen, uh, I think the most likely thing. If it's anybody, I think it'll be Tyson Fury. I think that's a fight that, that uh, is most likely because I don't know what Joshua is doing at this point. I don't know uh, what his interest level in fighting Francis is. Deontay Wilder's so uh, wrapped up in like promoters and all this different stuff. Like, there's no way that he'll be able to uh, fight uh, Francis uh, at least soon. I think Tyson Fury is the only one out of the bunch who can kind of call the shots a little bit and can make a fight like that happen. So. I'm not saying that uh, that's my prediction, that it's going to be Fury and Francis, but I think his first fight is definitely going to be boxing. I wish he were closer to being ready to go now, uh, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but in terms of the MMA side of things, what is your hope for Francis? Man, I, I mean, I just don't care to see him fight outside of the UFC because I just don't think that there are any heavyweights that are on his level. Um, you look at the heavyweight landscape, outside of the UFC and like, sure, you've got um, Bellator heavyweights, PFL guys, one championship, but um, none of those guys can really hold, they don't, they don't have anything for Francis. Like yeah. there's, there's nobody in the UFC that has anything for Francis from what we've seen thus far. Uh, so, I mean, as much as I would love to see him get paid a, a shit ton of money to fight some of these guys outside of the, outside of the UFC, I want, I want to see Francis fight the best. So I, I hope he goes to box, and I hope he comes back to the UFC eventually, but I don't know. What, what do you think? Part of me kind of wishes that uh, on February 4th, Bellator scratches Ryan Bader, and we see Francis Ngannou versus Fedor. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be a great, like, crossroads? Bro. <laughs> I mean, look, just those two names. Yeah. Francis and Fedor yeah. would be would be amazing. I mean, everything outside of the fight itself is amazing, but the f <laughs> the fight itself. I mean, do you remember what Francis did to Alistair Overeem? Yes, I'm getting. I, I, I get those vibes when I when I think about Francis and Fedor. I mean, but outside of the fight, I'm with you. Like, I I love it. I love it. It would be on CBS. I mean, Francis comes in. Uh, as the as the new heavyweight, uh, as the scariest heavyweight, all that stuff. Uh, it's like Hollywood Fedor Hogan, like entering WCW. Per hey, that that's actually perfect. That is great. Only Francis yeah, is I a really good dude and not a scum of the earth <laughs> NWO. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, that that would be perfect marketing. But yeah, you know, Francis comes in uh, like as like 
I was the world champion at UFC. Nobody can can touch me. I'm gonna right. come here. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take over Bellator. Uh, I'm not. I'm gonna knock out Fedor and then They're anybody the greatest, else who you got the for goat. me. Yeah, yeah, and, and and a lot of people's minds, and especially the hardcore fans, Fedor is the greatest heavyweight ever. I mean, I, I like it, but like Fedor is so past his prime now. Oh, like yeah. I think about the fight itself, and I'm just like, ah, oh, Francis would absolutely demolish uh, Fedor. But I mean, I he's mean, doing that to 95 percent of heavyweights, no matter what the promotion is, anyway. Yeah, but I, I'll say this: so say Francis does that to Fedor, what do you do with them after that? Uh, let him just annihilate everybody in his path. <laughs> like at that point it just becomes about highlights right uh because i mean I, I don't i mean you got bader out there so like but like bader would get absolutely destroyed i mean i don't even know many other heavyweights on their roster but i mean yeah francis would tear through everybody else yeah i mean outside of the ufc like there are other good promotions in this sport and there are other good promotions i think in in certain divisions especially but i mean we've talked even in the past about even in the ufc at times it's felt like the the heavyweight division was so thin and we've just kind of got this point in the last like two years where it feels like finally there's some new blood and a little depth in the heavyweight division in the ufc but outside the ufc even i like you just can't find there's not a bunch of great heavyweights walking this earth right like so yeah it's it's tough yeah they're, they're on the ufc and like Fedor being outside of the UFC is is rare. Like a guy like Fedor eventually goes to the UFC. He's like uh he's like Sting. Sting right. never went to the WWE for years yeah. and he went way too late, but like Fedor was the is the only guy who never went to the UFC and no matter how much the UFC tried to get him, he never he never went. Uh and he he settled in Bellator. Uh he and he's trying to win their heavyweight title in his last fight, but I mean yeah, there's not many other heavyweights out there. Like, that's why Ryan Bader – and I'm not saying Ryan Bader is not a good fighter. Ryan Bader is pretty solid. But, like, Ryan Bader was a double champion in Bellator. And I feel like the light heavyweight division is finally starting to come up. Uh, it, it, You can make a case about it being on par with the UFC, but I think the UFC has definitely gotten better over the last year. Um, and then, like, the heavyweight division in, in Bellator definitely doesn't hold a candle to the UFC's heavyweight yeah. division. So the fact that a guy like Ryan Bader, who's, who probably would be a mid-level guy in the UFC, uh, is a champion like that, you know, I think that just tells you everything you need to know. 100%. Yeah. There's just there's not a good option for him, MMA-wise, outside the UFC. And, I mean, there was only a handful of names inside the UFC that were good options for him at the heavyweight division. So, yeah, I think you go, if you can, you make the, the giant payday. Uh, in terms of boxing and you know grow the star power from there see where it takes you just ride the rocket ship and um, there there won't be a shortage regardless of who you serve him in one or PFL or Bellator like people are going to watch Francis Ngannou knock people out so uh, yeah. you know from a promotional standpoint even though there's nobody there's no obstacle for him um, people love highlights people love <laughs> KOs and Francis will deliver those uh, plentifully I would imagine in promotions where you don't have like a surreal gone on the other side all right, now the surreal gone John Jones aspect of this entire equation because, like I said, you know, part of me kind of hates the fact that, like, John Jones coming back, who, like, he's your favorite fighter. Um, a lot of people consider him to be the GOAT. In some ways, it kind of, like, overshadows how wrong the UFC has done Francis Ngannou because we're all excited to see John Jones back in the octagon. Uh, but in terms of just matchups, John Jones surreal gone is an absolutely incredible matchup, and I can't wait to see it. 
Man, my guy John is finally back, man. I, I mean, we've been talking about it for three years. Um, we've been doing this show for three years, and I've always wanted to to have a John Jones fight week, and it finally looks like we're we're going to get it in March. Of course, John Jones is one of those guys where like you have to see him on fight week, and you know we have to see everything kind of going in that good direction before you know you actually get excited because you know we know how John Jones has been. But in terms of the John Jones Strogan matchup, I mean that. For for a heavyweight for the heavyweight division to have these two guys fighting for their title, that just goes to show the evolution of the sport. I mean, we're gone. Gone are the days of Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin. I mean, we're yeah. we're here now. This sport has evolved to a point where you got Cyril Gan, who's six five, two fifty, chiseled, and he moves like a, a welterweight, moves like a lightweight. John Jones has ruled over the light heavyweight division for a decade. And his fight IQ is through the roof. He hasn't lost a fight. Uh, he's been in a lot of close ones. A lot of people think Dominic Reyes beat him, which he didn't. Uh, a lot of people think Thiago Santos beat him, but John Jones got his hand raised on that night. So, I mean, when you when you look at it like that, just the matchup itself, the, the fight IQ, the striking, uh, how good has Cyril Gans wrestling got since, uh, since he fought Francis, uh, John Jones, how is he going to look after three years off? There's so many questions going into this fight, but what you do know is that both these guys have have high-level fight IQ. And for Surreal Gunn to only be 12 fights in, this will be his 13th fight when he fights John Jones, his fight IQ is through the roof. And um, I think this is where we will bring in your uh, your numbers. Yeah. Um, John Jones hasn't <laughs> fought in three years. Last fight was February of 2020, uh, where he lost to Dominic Reyes. Despite the uh, judges deciding to interfere with that matchup, um, so three years without a fight, and that was light heavyweight as well. So he's never fought at heavyweight, but three years absence from the octagon, having never fought in the heavyweight division. At that point in time, Cyril Gon had three UFC fights total. Since John Jones' last fight, Cyril Gon has been in the octagon six times. He's five and one in those fights. The one loss was the Francis fight last January. His octagon time will, since John Jones was last in the octagon. <laughs> Cyril Gaon has fought a total of one hour, 51 minutes, and eight seconds in the octagon since the last time John Jones fought in the octagon. That's that's insane. Almost two hours of fight time in just, you said five fights or six fights? Six fights. In six fights. That That's insane. I mean, and Cyril Gaon in all these fights... He's just proven that he's better than any, than all of these guys. He's staying out of danger. He's uh, he's picking his shots. And he looks uh, noticeably better fight by fight by fight, right? Oh, 1,000%. Like, uh, he looks better from when he fought Junior Dos Santos to when he fought Alexander Volkov to when he fought uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike to when uh, – uh, who did he fight last before he fought for the time? Uh, Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis. I mean, all these fights, he just continues to get better. Uh, and, he makes his, and he makes it look easier and easier and easier. I think that tied to Avasa fight – he actually wanted to go in there and then get into a scrap. Like he was like, I'm coming in here to put on a show. And he said that from the, he said that from, uh, in the fight week in the press conference, he was like, I'm going to come out here. I want to put on a show. And that's what he did. And he actually went out there and he got a finish and he put on one of the best fights of the entire year with Tatu Avasa. Uh, he got dropped, but I mean that all of that is just valuable, valuable experience for Cyril Gunn, knowing that he can go in there and fight through adversity. Uh, that's something that we didn't know that if he could, you know, fight through because we saw it with Francis. We, we, when Francis kind of put it, that pressure on him and uh, was taking him down, we kind of saw some concern on his face. We saw him make mistakes. Uh, so the fact that he can go out there, learn from that, 
uh, and then have a performance like that against Ty, it's just all adding to his fight IQ, uh, all adding to his experience. And but I don't even know if that if that's enough to to have the amount of fight IQ, the the amount of championship level experience that John Jones has. Because sure, Cyril Gans had a lot of five round fights. He knows how to bank rounds, but he's only had one title fight, and it's he and he lost that fight. John Jones has been in title fights since he was 23 years old. He's been in nothing but title fights for years. It's it's crazy how many title fights he's been in. I don't even know the number, but it, it's crazy. It's in the double digits. Uh, John Jones has had so much fight time, so much championship level experience. But I just wonder. My biggest question for this. He's going into a, a, a new camp. Um, he's he's fighting a weight class up, and it's not just any like the light heavyweight jump to heavyweight. That's two hundred five to two sixty five. Cyril Gaon's probably going to be 240, 250 on fight day. Um, John Jones, I don't know how much he's going to weigh, but how is he going to look? How is he going right. to carry that extra weight? Um, is he going to be more? Is it going to be more wrestling based now that he's training with Henry Cejudo and not training with uh, with uh, Mike Winkle, John, and Greg Jackson? And Greg Jackson. So, you know, I just wonder how what, – what, what does he look like? That's the biggest question. I mean, three years out of the octagon, is he going to be gun-shy? I mean, but I will say this. Cyril Gunn is the right fight to come back to if, if you are gun-shy because I feel like Cyril Gunn isn't going to pressure him the way that a Francis Ngannou right. would. Francis Ngannou is going, to come, is going to come in there to take his head off. I think Cyril Gunn is going to go in there looking to point fight with him, looking to bank rounds. Um, I'm not sure pick if Shogun, yeah. yeah, pick his shots. Like that's how Shogun fights. He's going to be jumping around in his Muay Thai stance, uh, kicking, leg kick, trying to, you know, see, trying to see what John Jones is going to do. He's not trying to take his head off. So I think that this is the right fight for him to come back to. And the fact that Shogun showed some mistakes in the wrestling and stuff when he fought Francis, I'm sure John's like, if Francis can do that to Surreal, I'm sure I can do that to Surreal. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions, but I think the fact that John Jones is such a good wrestler. Uh, that gives you know the John Jones fans like me uh, some hope in this fight. Yeah, I mean, look, t- for anybody to suggest that there's no hope, it would be unbelievably foolish. I think it's just fair to point out the various, the very obvious question marks in this matchup with a three-year layoff, with a guy that's never fought in the heavyweight division, with how that translates against a younger, more athletic guy, right? Like, these aren't dump trucks like you referenced earlier. Uh, these aren't dump truck heavyweights where they're just going to go collide right in the middle of the octagon and and see who's tougher. Like Cyril Gon is as gifted an athlete as there is on the entire UFC roster. He just happens to be a heavyweight. Like his footwork and athleticism and ability to move, uh, explosiveness, all of that is on a completely different level. And you know, I think a couple things at play. We we saw him take a shot from Tai Tuivasa and and survive it. Um, you know, we we didn't know what that would look like if it happened. Um, and, and he showed that he can take a shot. Uh, you know, can John take a shot at the heavyweight division? I know Cyril Gaon is not a knockout artist per se, but we don't know how John is going to absorb a fight at the heavyweight division. You know, will John be heavier handed at the heavyweight division than he was at light heavyweight? Um, I, I think there are very real questions about what that's going to look like for a guy that's never fought in this division. Uh, that's, you know, this isn't like making a 10 pound jump from like featherweight to lightweight, right? Like this is a massive jump. Uh, and you're not wearing that type of weight regularly like Surreal Gone is, who also is an incredibly gifted athlete, and that's the one thing that I think was clearly in favor of John Jones throughout his entire reign, right? He was so much more athletically gifted than his opponents. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, man. 
so much more athletically gifted. And then that reach advantage, I mean, that reach advantage was so substantial. These guys had no idea how to even get any anywhere close to John Jones. Because if you did get close, he was yeah. going to clinch you, take you down. If you got close, he was going to head kick you. Like, that reach advantage and then just how athletic he was, I mean, he would pick up. He doesn't have those same advantages against a guy like Cyril Gunn because Cyril Gunn's going to be playing that same distance management yeah. game. Uh, I know John's probably going to have the reach advantage, but with a guy like Cyril Gunn, that reach advantage is probably negated, you know, um, with how athletic Cyril Gunn is on the other on the other end. So um, the, the kicks, how, how kick heavy is John is John going to be? I'm sure he's still going to be trying to work those cheap kicks and uh, just trying to get at Cyril, but like Cyril's going to be doing the same type of kicks, you know, <laughs> So I wonder if John's going to revert to wrestling sooner rather than later because I think the the longer that this stays standing uh, without any wrestling, the more comfortable Cyril's going to get. And yeah. and we saw what Cyril did to Francis Ngannou. Like he he was he was striking circles around Francis in those first two rounds. Like like Francis had nothing for him, and sure Francis had a had a hurt leg, but I mean Cyril was was having his way with him, and Francis had to resort to the wrestling. So if I'm John, I'm not trying to play that game with Cyril for a long time. I'm trying to get him to the ground. I'm trying to, you know, um, like what Francis did, which was very, very good. He Francis caught a kick and took him down. John, John will be able to do that as well. He'll be able to, to catch one of those kicks and get him to the ground. Uh, but, yeah, if I'm John, I'm not playing that, that striking game with Cyril for long. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great fight. I'm very excited for it. Uh, like I said, I, if, if anybody's just counting John Jones out, that's crazy. Uh, I just think there are obvious question marks that it's fair to, to, to ask, you know, is this going to be a giant influence on the fight or not? And uh, we will find out. That's what makes this fight so fascinating. Um, this will be, I think, one of the biggest fights in UFC history, right? Like, I think by the time we get there, this is going to be a monumental fight under this promotion. Mon- monumental fight. The skill level, skill-wise, this is one of the uh, top skilled fights the UFC has ever put on. I mean, it's going to be amazing. But what what I'll say about John Jones and, and about this fight, Shrogan should be the betting favorite, uh, in my mind. There's too many questions. But like, if this were any other guy, if this were somebody else who were coming off of three years off, going up a weight class, and we have literally no yeah. idea like how they're gonna look, there's no way that we would pick that guy to to be the winner of the fight. But the fact that this is John Jones, a fighter who has been pretty much flawless throughout his entire UFC career, except for I mean. <laughs> yeah i mean any other fighter to your point Gunn would be a minus what 600 favorite yeah he would be a, a, a sizable favorite like yeah. it would be easy to say that Cyril's the favorite but now this fight is like a pick em, basically and i think on yeah i think as this fight gets closer there'll be there's gonna be money coming in on both i still think on on fight week this will be a pick em more than it'll be uh one side uh being the favorite over the other by the way, when we talked earlier today, um, I, I had mentioned something. I, I since have looked through different sports books, and they all—they're all different. Some have gone as the the favorite. Some have John Jones as the favorite. But the margins across the board, to your point, are very slim. So, I mean, regardless of which guy is the favorite, depending on what sports book you're looking at, it's all pretty thin margins. Yeah, I think on on fight week, if it's not going to be actual pick them at minus one ten, I think you're going to be looking at minus one fifteen, minus one oh five territory. I think it, this fight is so hard to call i think a lot of the smart people will say john jones is the goat or they'll say uh Cyril Gunn has been active and john jones hasn't i think they'll try to keep it simple and not make it complicated like it, it like this fight really is yeah yeah i would agree with that um 
we'll, we'll have plenty of time to hit uh, the announcement of the London card with Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, the trilogy fight, which we all knew was coming, right? I mean, I think there was a little bit of smoke that they may go in another direction, but I think everybody assumed that if if Usman was ready to go, which his camp started saying he was going to be ready to go, he was getting that fight. Uh, obviously, Gaethje and Fazeev is going to be absolutely incredible. We referenced that a little bit earlier. We'll get into that in more detail a little later. Uh, we do have a bunch of UFC 283 picks to make, uh, but we also have to talk about the first fight card of 2023, which uh, featured Sean Strickland stepping in on short notice for uh, Kelvin Gastelum against Nasruddin Imavov, Will. Uh, this was a very fun fight. This was exactly what I kind of anticipated was going to happen. Sean Strickland was just going to go get into a fight, right, without a whole fight camp and training for one guy. Like, he was just going to go get into a fight, and I thought he thrived in a scenario where he just brought the fight to Imavov. Yeah, man. Uh, Sean Strickland, I'm not going to say he was he was coming off the couch because he obviously is a guy that stays in shape. Um, but for him to go out there and get into a fight like that, completely take it to Imavov, and you you saw you saw um, you saw Strickland expose some holes in, in Imavov's game. I thought that uh, Strickland would have the cardio advantage in a full camp fight, but I thought with him being um, you know, with this being on short notice, with him taking the fight literally days uh, in advance, uh, I thought Imavov would have that advantage. But it seemed as his fight wore on that Strickland, uh, his defense uh, really just you know it, sh- it, it shined through in this fight. Uh, and I, I think Imabov is going to look back at this and just kind of just kick himself because this was such a golden opportunity for him. I think he, I think he dropped the ball, but uh, Strickland still came out, yeah. uh, took the fight to him. I think Imabov wasn't expecting that to be as tough as it ended up being. And uh, props to Strickland, man, um, to take that fight. It, it, it was a desperation type fight for for Strickland because he had lost two in a row. Another loss would have been very, very damaging for him. So for the fact that he took that fight. Got that win. I mean, it puts him right back in um, into that contender uh, area that he that yep. he was in. I, I scored that four one, obviously giving Imavov the fourth and final round. Um, I, I to your point, I thought Imavov just I, like he was literally fighting Sean Strickland's fight the whole way. Oh man, it was, it was terrible. I, I just it didn't make any sense to me. He didn't seem to want to mix it up. Uh, he just wanted to try and like sit in the pocket and outstrike Sean. Well, like that's Sean Strickland's so good at doing what he does. He's so defensively sound, although, you know, he did take some shots, but um, not nearly as many as it felt like he was dealing out. And and as I said last week, like, I thought the the much clearer path of victory for Imavov was to try and get this off the feet, uh, which never even came into play. Man, you know, I, I don't really see, I don't really know Imavov to be much of a, of a wrestler like that. You know, much of the, uh, much of the, of his fights, I've seen him just try to be kind of like surreal. I know he trains with surreal. Uh, so a lot of the fights that I've seen him in, he's, he's kind of been uh, using movement and, and kicks and, you know, he's, he's a taller guy in a lot of fights, but like you said, he didn't mix it up. Like when, yeah. when, they, when it was on the feet, he just, he fought Sean Strickland's fight and it was just more of just a, a just a, just a, just a fight, you know, just a strong, a Sean Strickland special. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what that fight was. A Sean Strickland special, and what it what it did and what it did Imavov good to mix it up, throw kicks, uh, clinch a little bit, you know, do something else. But just to go out there and fight Sean Strickland's fight in the pocket the whole time, Sean Strickland's not going to lose many of those fights. So um, it was tough to see because you know I thought Imavov was was going to be next. Uh, I, I I thought he I had high hopes for him, but. I mean, obviously, Sean Strickland just came out and just came out there and just completely derailed the hype train. 
Yeah. I mean, the majority of his finishes in his pro career, Will, are either submissions or ground and pound wins. Um, going back and, and just watching a couple times, like he looks, I'm not saying he's uh, Hamza Chemayev by any means, but in terms of just the little bit that I feel like I've seen from him uh, on the ground, he, he looks much more skilled than the little bit we've seen from Sean Strickland. Uh, in that regard. So um, that just seemed like a, a natural, you know, let's see what happens here because I feel like that's advantage for Amavov. I never felt like he had the advantage in a, a stand-up fight with Sean Strickland, who once again is just so defensively sound, right? Like he's going to pressure you and he's as defensively sound as anybody in that entire division. So, and he's just relentless at, at staying in your face. But um, big win for Sean Strickland and uh, especially on short notice. I can't remember ever a time where in back-to-back fight cards, we've had a guy, main event, back-to-back fight cards. You know, I know we had the break between 2022 and 2023, but when you just look at the history of the UFC and look at two fight cards consecutively headlined by Sean Strickland, that's wild. Yeah, that, that is wild, man. <laughs> and uh, just the fact that, you know, Sean Strickland is, is the way he is, uh, just a, a goofball. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for two UFC cards we headlined by him, I, I mean, it just, it just goes to show, like, this guy, he, he wants to fight. He's a fighter's fighter. Um, if you ever need a guy, call Sean Strickland. Like, I'm sure that there wasn't much of a negotiation power or anything like that. It was probably like, hey, Sean, you, you free to fight? Sure, I'll fight. I mean, I'll try to do it. Yeah. Sure, I'll fight. Fuck he it. did say they paid what him a shit I, ton of money who, in his post-fight who am I fighting? interview. They paid him a shit ton of money? That's what he said in the, po- in the octagon after the in his interview. He said, they paid me a shit ton of money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, even even then, I'm sure like he probably would have took the fight anyway. Oh, yeah, right. But, like I agree. The, the fact that the money was was like that's like icing on top on top of the cake. Yeah. But like Sean Strickland would have been game either way. Like, of course, you can't pay him pennies. But like that's just icing on the cake. Yeah. The co-main was Dan Ige and Damon Jackson. I thought, and I think we both agreed. I thought Damon Jackson's length I thought might be a problem for Dan Ige. It was not at all. In fact, Dan Ige didn't even really seem to. Um, to feel like Damon Jackson offensively was a threat at all, and clearly there was a power difference in these two guys when they did land. Uh, Danny Gay just had zero respect for what was coming back his way and ultimately got that big finish. Yeah, man. You know, it's time for me to stop disrespecting Danny Gay. Uh, I think that what happened, you know, I see him fight Korean Zombie. I see him fight Josh Shimmett. And I feel like, you know, I, I see Damon Jackson's win over Pat Sabatini, and I just feel like there's so much momentum behind Damon Jackson um, that I, I think, like, in a, in a crossroads fight like this, sometimes that momentum uh, shines through. Agreed. But, but, and it, but you just forget sometimes that, like, it's one of those y'all must have forgot moments. And that, that's, that's basically what Dan Ige did on Saturday. Like, y'all must have forgot. I, I, I'm Dan 50K Ige for a reason. And the, I mean, the way that he knocked Damon Jackson out, uh, like you said, the power difference was pretty apparent early. Uh, it was shocking. Gave, yeah, it, it was. It was very shocking. I, I didn't expect it to be that substantial. Um, it, all the shots that Dan, that Dan Ige was landing obviously had a, a drastic effect on Damon Jackson. Uh, but, you know, I thought that Damon Jackson would be able to land uh, some things to get Dan Ige off of him. But, you know, Dan Ige stayed in his face, made it tough on him, and then eventually got the knockout. Yeah. Uh, it's time we stop disrespecting Dan Ige. Uh, he's still one of the best guys in the world. Um, and I'm curious to see what's next for him because, of, you know, a fight with a guy like Damon Jackson, I'm not going to say Damon Jackson's not one of the top uh, featherweights, but, like, we've seen uh, Dan Ige against the Josh Emmett's, against the top-level guys. Damon Jackson, I don't believe he was ranked 
So I wonder, like, what's next? Where does Dan Ige fit in this uh, featherweight division? It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. I hate to use this word because it sounds like it's disrespectful. I don't mean it that way. But in some ways, Dan Ige, the gatekeeper for the emerging featherweights to get past to see if they are ready to go fight the Calvin Caters and the Josh Emmett's and the Brian Ortega's of the featherweight division. I don't think that's I don't think that's disrespectful. I think that's just realistic. That's like because all the guys, all the top guys, Danny Gay's fought. He's fought most of them. He's he's lost to them. He he hasn't really had that signature win. Like um, he's had that close fight with Calvin Cater, uh, Emmett. He's lost to Korean Zombie. He lost to so like he's at a point now where he's he has to be that gatekeeper. He lost to Evloev. So yeah, he's at that point now where he's welcoming these young guys to see if they're ready to be championship caliber. But we can't um, we can't make the mistake in thinking that Dan Ige is still not one of the top ten to fifteen best featherweights yeah. in the world. And I, and I, and I totally thought he was going into this made. fight. But yeah, I, I'm saying that's a mistake that I definitely made. Um, I, I definitely thought that Dan Ige was like on the on the decline, like he was on his way down. But he reminded me with with that knockout, like Dan Ige is still a problem in this division. Yeah, I I didn't necessarily feel like I was down on him as much as I felt like. Damon Jackson is also, I think, top 15-ish caliber. But, like, in terms of the matchup itself, like, I just thought Damon Jackson's length would be a big problem for Dan Ige. And, again, like, that was so shocking that it wasn't because Dan Ige literally, like, didn't respect anything coming back his way, right? Like, the length didn't prevent Dan Ige from getting his own shots off, which I thought would happen in that specific matchup. But, um, yeah, I don't know what's next. I mean, he does have the win over Edson Barboza, that kind of got him to this point right before he started fighting that that murderer's row that he did. In in terms of the rankings, he's 13, Barboza's 14, Alex Casares is 15. So, and maybe Alex Casares, right? Yeah, that would be a good one. Uh, I think I saw that he had a fight book, but I just don't remember against who. Um, what do you think about um, – I don't think this fight would actually happen, but I think I would just like to match up uh, Sadiq Youssef and Dan Ige. Yeah, I don't mind that fight. Because, like, you know, Sadiq has been struggling to find opponents, and I think Dan Ige would always be game to fight, and I think that would be a, a very fun stand-up fight. So uh, if Sadiq is still struggling to find one of those top guys to fight, I think Dan Ige would have no problem uh, fighting Sadiq Youssef. Yeah, Sadiq Youssef does not have a fight currently scheduled. He has two wins over Alex Casares and Don Shanus since that Arnold Allen loss, which... Uh... Was he undefeated before that one? No, he had a loss to uh, Luis Gomez in Titan FC 47. So, yeah, I don't mind that at all. I was going to throw out maybe Bryce Mitchell, but I, I don't necessarily love that stylistic matchup at all. Yeah, I think I, we we probably have a better uh, a good idea of how that fight would go. Um, for as good as Dan Ige is on the feet, like I think Bryce Mitchell, we can't forget. <laughs> yeah, like Bryce Mitchell is still that guy. Um, you know, Taporia is just that guy as well. I mean, yeah. the both guys were undefeated. Yeah. Taporia, Taporia is just is is one of those contenders. He's he's one of the cream of the crop type guys. Yeah. Um, Bryce Mitchell is still good, but he's he's got some uh, some work he needs to do it with the stand up. So maybe you do do a fight like that because you know Danny Gay is a, a a heavy striker. So maybe you do do a fight like that, but. Uh, I think Bryce Mitchell would handily beat Danny Gay. I think he'd be a heavy favorite as well. Yeah, for sure. We had Roman Kapalov over Puna Soriano in the middleweight division. Well, this one was was very odd for me to watch because I just felt like Puna was just trying to hit the home run, right? Like it was just everything he threw was like knockout. 
and I felt like he could get to to Kapalov. It just he, he was unnecessarily trying to end it with every punch instead of being a little bit more patient. And clearly, I thought had had the more powerful strikes when he did land, but it just seemed like he was trying to do way too much. Yeah, uh, for sure, he was definitely trying to do way too much. He was looking for the highlight, um, but. And Kapilov, he never seemed rattled by that. He never uh, looked at Puna's uh, pressure and all the all the powerful strikes that were coming at him, and he never let that rattle him. I mean, the the way that Kapilov broke him down uh, throughout those throughout those rounds was just crazy to see. Because I I thought that Puna would be the more powerful striker and the more skilled striker, but yeah. we didn't get to see any of that skill from Puna because he was trying to take him out. I think. Puna knew that this was going to be a, a striker's delight type fight where he could get a knockout, but he just did not do a good job of letting the fight come to him. Kopolov did a fantastic job letting the fight come to him. He he basically was countering all of Puna's shots, and then Puna got tired, and Kopolov kind of just had his way with him after that. So uh, that was a very impressive performance from Kopolov. I mean, I, I didn't know that he had all, all of that in his arsenal, but he showed the he showed the, the bag, as they say now. Yeah. Uh, Kopolov's got a deep bag for sure. I don't know how many strikes ultimately Soriano threw. I feel like 90% of them had to be the big left, right? Like, yeah. what else was it? Like, everything was the giant left hand that, that tried to be the fight ender. It was, like, at some point I was like, come on, dude, just mix it up a little. Even if you want to keep throwing the big haymaker, trying to end it, at least mix it up a little bit to set that up better. Uh, yeah, it was, it, like, it was almost like he just, like, I don't want to say that he was disrespectful of Kapilov, but it was just almost like, like, the way that I kind of felt about it from my perspective was, like, I don't need to do anything but just hit this guy and he's going to go down type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, he, he was, yeah for sure. He was chasing yeah. the finish. Uh, he knew that this guy wasn't going to take him down. And he and he felt like if I hit this guy with a good shot, he's, he's going to he's gonna crumble. Um, he just did He did a terrible job of setting it up. And, you know, he was coached by – I believe he was coached by Nixick. And it's like <clears throat> that's not – a way that Eric Nixick's guys normally fight. Uh, so I, I think he kind of went on his own little game plan. Like, I think I can knock this guy out. Uh, I need a big highlight. Uh, and it, it cost him. Yeah. Split decision win for Raquel Pennington over Caitlin Vieta. Um, I, I scored it for Pennington. I don't know how you scored it. Uh, I did think it was a, a good fight. It was a fun fight to watch. Um, ultimately, I agreed with the decision. Your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely agree with the decision. Um especially with how the judges are scoring these fights now. Uh, and, and and to think that in, in Vieira's last fight with Holly Holm, that's how she won the fight. Uh, she won the fight uh, because Holly Holm was kind of trying to control her, trying to hold her, but she was obviously winning in the striking realm. I think Pennington just showed that she wanted this fight more than Kayla Vieira on this night. Um, and and that, in that third round, Kayla Vieira was just holding on to her for dear life. And Pennington was just doing all she could to just throw strikes just to do something. That just kind of summed up the fight to me because Pennington wanted this fight more than Kevin Vieira, and I think the judges got it right. Uh, it was a close fight, fun fight, but I think Pennington yeah. uh, did enough to deserve that win for sure. What's next for her? Man, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of hesitation to give Pennington a title shot because of how the first fight went with her and Nunes. Uh, it was so one-sided, and then, like, Pennington was quitting on the stool before the fifth, and then uh, Nunes got the finish. Uh, I think there's some going to be some hesitation. Uh, but she's won five in a row. I think that next, uh, I don't think she's going to get a title shot. I think the only way she gets a title shot is if she beats every single contender that's in front of her. And I think 
next is probably going to be Irene Aldana. I think they fought before, and I think Aldana won. Uh, I might be wrong on that. No, uh, and then Pennington won. Pennington won. Okay, yeah. so yeah, they might run that back because uh, Aldana's on a, on a pretty solid streak herself. Or uh, I don't think she's fought Juliana Pena yet. Maybe uh, that's a fight that that's they the do uh, in the future. But I think one of those two fights are next. I don't think they give her uh, Amanda uh, next. In the five fights, it's uh, Caitlin Vieta, Aspen Ladd, Macy Chason, um, Penny Kianzon. Yeah. Saying that right? I believe so. Uh, Marion Renault. Uh, she had lost to Holly Holm. Uh, she's lost to Holly Holm twice. She had the Aldana win. She lost to Durandamy and Amanda. Um, like I said, Holly Holm twice. Um, went over Misha Tate. Went over Jessica Andrade. Like I, I think Juliana makes the most sense, right? In terms of who she's faced, um, like she's lost twice to Holly. Um, yeah, I mean Juliana's the only one in the top five that she hasn't fought. Man, I'll say this about Raquel, man. Like I remember watching her fight Holly Holm that second fight, and I remember it being on the Conor McGregor card, I, I believe, before he fought uh, Cerrone. But that fight, it just did not seem like Pennington was there. Uh, was was that her first fight? After she lost to Nunez, that home fight. Um, let me see here. No, she lost to Nunez and then lost to uh, Durandamy, and then okay. beat Arena Aldana and then lost to home for the second time. Okay. Um. So, I just remember looking at that fight and and it seemed like Pennington just didn't seem all that interested in being there. Um. But I will say on the street, especially I, I think I noticed it when she fought Macy Chasson. Um, she, it just seems like her mentality is completely different. She seems like she really wants it. Uh, she wants to get back to that title. Um, her mentality, everything has just changed. And then you see it on full display against Caitlin Vieira, a, a fight that I thought that Caitlin Vieira was kind of better than her everywhere. Yeah. But it just seemed like she just wanted it more. And I, it, it's good to see. I think that uh, maybe the whole her building a family with Tisha Torres has her a new lease on, on fighting and everything. So, um I'm happy for her, man. She's been looking good, and you know, I would love to see that fight with Juliana Pena. I think that would be a scrap. Uh, both both yeah. those women, they want it. There's not going to be any easy way out for either fighter. As I look further into this, in, of the top eight, even Will, she's fought everyone except for Pena and Yana Kunitskaya. Yeah, so, so yeah. like that that fight just makes a ton makes, of sense. Yeah, like sense. Pena, like who is Pena going to fight? Like you could have her fight Aldana. That would be a first matchup. But uh, Pennington is there. I, yeah. I believe she wants to be active. Uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly what's going on with Irene Aldana. I don't know what's, what's next on the cards for her. Like maybe they, maybe they look for Amanda to fight Irene Aldana at, at some point. But it seems to me like they're hesitant to give Pena a title shot again, and they're hesitant to give Pennington a, a, a title shot again. So Pennington, Pena, a, a good scrap, and Amanda Valentina. There we go. Problem solved. Then what do you do with Aldana? Um, uh, she's waiting. <laughs> she's waiting in the wings. Okay. Give her uh, Caitlin Vieta. Well, they fought before, and, and uh, Aldana knocked her out. Did they? I forgot about that. Okay, never mind. But yeah, I, I think that Aldana has got to be in the conversation. If it, if it's a number one contender fight, which I think that Pena and Pennington would be very close to that, uh, I think Aldana's got to be in the discussion. Yeah. So I would feel like maybe Juliana or Pennington would fight her. But, you know, it all, I think it all depends on what Amanda does. Like, whoever Amanda fights for the title, and then you can, do the, you can do the contender fights based off of that. Yeah. 
The main card started in the bantamweight division, and Will Umar Nurmagomedov was a heavy favorite in this, although I thought as long as this would be on the feet, it would be a very interesting matchup. I thought when it went to the ground, that's probably where you get the, the wrap-up and the fight's over. How about Umar Nurmagomedov getting the win by KO left hook, which I did not see coming. That was not on my bingo card for this fight. You know, I always say that when, you, when these wrestlers fight, that these guys are so concerned with their, with their wrestling that something like that could, could land. It could be a, a potential right. fight ender. Uh, and that's, that's definitely what, what happened with Umar Nurmagomedov. Uh, he was showing good movement. He was showing good footwork, all that stuff. Uh, but I know that Barcelos was, was knowing that, was thinking that that shot's going to come. That shot's going to come. That shot's going to come. Uh, and then eventually, Umar just throws out this this crazy jumping knee with a left hook behind it that uh, Barcelos just did not see coming. It wasn't the hardest shot in the world, but uh, I'll always remember that DC said this. It's those shots that you don't, that you don't see coming that hurts right. you the worst. And uh, that definitely happened with Barcelos. Like, that shot flatlined him. He just never saw it coming. He's now lost three of four, and it's it's disappointing because I feel like this is a guy that still just has such a, a high ceiling, but it's it's uh, going in the wrong direction since, uh, you know, if, and, it, and now it kind of feels like it's been forever since he beat Chris Gutierrez and, and Saeed Nurmagomedov, and, you know, it's it's losses to Valiev and Victor Henry and now Umar Nurmagomedov. Yeah, there's obviously potential there, but like you said in the lead-up to this fight, the consistency just hasn't been there. Uh, and and now he's on the wrong side. He's lost three or four, like you said. Uh, it's going to be hard to rebound from that. I mean, he had he had it. I mean, with 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 those wins over Nurmagomedov and Chris Gutierrez. I mean, those guys are like I don't even I don't even know if Chris Gutierrez is ranked at this point. But his past performances, like what he did to Frankie Edgar, what Saeed Nurmagomedov's right. done, like they've only been evolving, getting better. And Barcelos has unfortunately gone on the other side. Um, in terms of the prelims, I'll let you throw out any any uh, anything you thought uh, stood out. I will say Matalsh Rebecki was a guy that I, I noted when he was on Contender Series as one of those like, hey, I'm going to pay attention to this guy. There might be something there. He had a, uh, a win on the prelims. And then the, the first fight on the card obviously featured the comeback of Jimmy Flick versus Charles Johnson. Yes, he was getting dominated. I didn't love the stoppage. I thought it was a little bit early. I don't think it's the biggest crime in the world by any means, but I, I, I think he probably deserved a little bit longer than he was given. All that said, I think uh, Charles Johnson looked fantastic early in that fight. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll start with Rebecca real quick. Rebecca, uh, even though that uh, he did get a 30-27 on, uh, a win, but that fight wasn't easy. I mean, he was trying to knock out uh, – man, I don't even Nick know Fior. his name. Yeah. Nick Fior. He was trying to knock him out with every shot. And a little bit like Puna, him... right? Yeah, you can see him starting to get tired yeah. towards the second round, and then he started to uh, to take to take Fury down. But uh, that fight wasn't easy for Rebecca. Uh, he thought that he would take him out early. He obviously didn't, but he still was able to uh, to capitalize and get the uh, 30-27 win. Uh, the the Charles Johnson Jimmy Flick fight, man, you know, it just looked like Jimmy Flick. Uh, his timing was a little off. You know, he's been out of the octagon for a few years, so you know Charles Johnson uh, took it to him early, and you know, the stoppage. You know, I. I I, I'm with you. I could have saw more done, but, you know, uh, you don't want to see a fighter get beat up. So if the ref thought he saw enough, then, you know, you got to be okay with it. But, uh, you know, Jimmy Flick's been out of the cage for so long, you would have liked to see him, you know, take a little bit more damage. You know, you could tell – you know that he wasn't out of it. He got right up and was like, man, my, my bad, telling his corner. So, like, yeah. you would have wanted to see him do uh, – take a little bit more damage, I guess. But 
uh, the the prelim that I, that I do want to touch on, uh, Abdul Razak Alhassan versus uh, Claudio uh, Alberto. I mean, we all knew that someone was going to get knocked out, and I think a lot of people yeah. kind of had some questions on on Alhassan in this fight. But I mean, Alhassan just proved that he was the that he was a smarter fighter because like you knew that someone was going to get knocked out, so he clinched him early, and then the opening came in the second round to to land the big shot. He took it. Big win for him. Yeah. Uh, well, he's just another one of those guys where we've seen him land the highlight shots, and then we've seen him be on the complete other end, right? He's just he's been so inconsistent, but you know uh, that he always has a chance because he's always one shot away from from ending the fight. And man, those those uh, what was it? Three punches that kind of finished it. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. just hammers. Hammers right behind the ear. Like he yeah. was trying to fit. Like I'm not even gonna say he was trying to finish that fight. Like it was. It was more than that. That guy was trying to end him <laughs> bad for sure. Bad, very, very bad yeah. intentions. My goodness. Yeah. All right, man. Let's uh, let's make some picks for UFC 283 as we get ready for Saturday night from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, this is a fun fight card with, again, I think uh, what's going to be, I would assume, an incredible atmosphere. Colby Covington would obviously disagree, but uh, I think this is going to be a really fun atmosphere uh, on Saturday night in Brazil. First time back, I believe, right, since the since the pandemic, so it's been several years yeah. since they were in Brazil. Um, maybe not great matchups across the board, but I think a lot of really fun fighters across the board on this fight card. Uh, we can hit the prelims and maybe give some thoughts on that after the, the main card picks, if you want to do that. But starting the main card in the light heavyweight division, it is Paul Craig and Johnny <laughs> Walker, who uh, has, has displayed uh, a little bit more well-roundedness, maybe, as of late in his... Uh, UFC career. If you can tell or not, I'm uh, somewhat stalling because my page froze momentarily <laughs> that has the odds. Um, <laughs> Johnny Walker is the minus 185 favorite, plus 150 for Paul Craig. Now, I know that last year, you know, I was ahead a lot of the time, but I think that, you, uh, that you're ahead this time, my friend. So I think you go first. Is that correct? Oh, that's right. <laughs> 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 yes, with the Raquel Pennington and the Sean Strickland wins from last weekend. That's right. I'm. It's been so long since I was ahead, and not even that. Like it was, you were, had such a margin that that there was really no chance of even closing that gap. That it didn't even cross my mind that I was picking first today. That's really funny. Um, <laughs> all right. The, the, the surprise that. That's totally. like, oh, that's right. Yeah. This is only, yeah, we started over. I forgot. Oh, man. All right. So, uh, light heavyweight division. Give me Johnny Walker. I, I kind of like where he's at right now. Obviously, this is a guy that uh, I think can finish it on the feet for sure. But um, I feel like maybe is starting to develop in terms of being just a well-rounded mixed martial artist. You know, Paul Craig is extremely dangerous. Um, but kind of feels like a, a one-trick pony to a degree. You, you, you know where he's extremely dangerous and, and what ultimately, if he's going to win, is, is going to happen. I think Johnny Walker avoids the danger, and uh, I think he lands some big shots and ultimately is the victor. Yeah, man, look, I was uh, I wanted to go Paul Craig, but I didn't like how he fought his last fight against Uzdemir. Uh, I, felt like, I felt like that was a fight that he could have won, but he was so concerned with the stand-up. Of Uzumir, he just didn't really fight, and uh, that—that's uh, very—that that was very concerning to me uh, because he—he's very good when he goes out there and, and he fights. But if he's going to be 
terrified to, to actually go out there and fight. Johnny Walker is going to be able to land to land something on him, or at least just cruise to a decision win. So uh, I'm with you. I'm going to go Johnny Walker as well. All right, in the women's strawweight division, we have Jessica Andrade and Lauren Murphy, which should be a fun matchup. Oddshark.com has Jessica Andrade as the minus 525 favorite, plus 365 oh for Lauren Murphy, which uh, I think this is actually happening at flyweight, by the way. Um, I don't know why. Yeah, flyweight. Yes, that is, yes it is a flyweight. Yeah. But, uh, the, I was Jessica Andrade is minus five minus five twenty five, which she was going to be my pick, but I, I I look at this as a really good matchup, and you know outside yeah. of outside of Lauren Murphy versus Valentina Shevchenko, Lauren Murphy has looked really good. Uh, yeah, I, man, I'm very surprised at those odds. I just I I I really like where Jessica Andrade has so many paths to victory in this fight, but I think this is a scrap, man. That's those odds are shocking to me. Uh, but give me Jessica Andrade. Look, I mean, Laura Murphy is, has always proved to be tough. Uh, this is a good matchup. I, I think that there's – if Jessica Andrade comes down here and gasses herself out, which could happen at flyweight, uh, Laura Murphy could edge out a decision. I, I think that's definitely in play here. But like you said, Jessica Andrade is the more skilled fighter. She's got more ways to win. She's probably the more powerful fighter. But I do expect this to be tough. Um, I'm gonna go on Drage, but I'm I'm shocked at those odds. I thought that it would be more of like a minus two hundred for for Jessica and Drage. All right, fight number three on this main card is Gilbert Burns versus Neil Magny in the welterweight division. Gilbert Burns also a pretty heavy favorite, minus four hundred plus three hundred five for Neil Magny. Um, this one for me, I, I feel like every time Neil Magny fights, we throw out the. Uh, you know what a tough matchup he is, and how he just he he has a way of making every fight he's in a tough fight, win or lose. Like he's going to make you work for it. This is one where I just I think Gilbert Burns is just on another level. I, I don't know that Neil Magny wants to take him to the ground. Um, Gilbert Burns is so good, and I, I think Gilbert Burns just explosiveness athletically could be a big problem here for for Neil Magny. So give me Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I mean, there's the 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 normal routes to victory that Neil Magny would have. I, he just doesn't really have those uh, uh, those advantages against uh, Gilbert Burns. He tries to take it to the ground. Bur- Burns is so good uh, with his jujitsu and on the feet. Like he'll try to uh, use his distance and everything. But Gilbert Burns, uh, his takedown offense has gotten better. And then you know he's always got that power. Uh, we saw it on full display with Hamza. Like he 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 rocked Hamza a few times and was able to get in on Hamza, even though Hamza was was a bigger guy, so um, a taller guy, I should say. Yeah. But yeah, give me Gilbert Burns. Uh, I think this sh- this is his fight to lose. I think the only way Neil Magny wins is if Gilbert Burns makes a mistake. Yeah. Co-main event for the fourth time, we will have Davison Figueroa and Brandon Moreno in the flyweight championship matchup. Oddshark.com, once again, has this as a very close fight. Minus 115 for Davis and Figueredo. Minus 108 for Brandon Moreno. Um, I'll take Davis and Figueredo again. I've picked him in every fight so far, so why not make it four for four? I thought in the first fight he was clearly the better guy. Uh, The point deduction obviously uh, turned that into uh, what it was, but I thought he was the better guy. I thought um, there was a lot of arrogance in fight number two from Figueredo, and that ultimately... Uh, got Moreno the win. I thought fight number three was a fun fight, but I, I, I thought that Figueredo clearly won that fight as well, despite a lot of people maybe feeling like it was the wrong decision. Um, yeah, give me Davison Figueredo again. Fourth and final, fourth and maybe final time 
that these two guys fight in the flyweight division. Yeah, well, let me just say, these two guys definitely put the flyweight division on the map. There was talks of this division, you know, going going under, but uh, these two guys put some life back into the flyweight division. Um, yeah, the first fight, Figueredo clearly was the winner, but that point deduction got him. I seriously think that the weight, the weight cut got him in the second fight. Um, I think on fight day, he was damaged goods, uh, and Brandon Moreno finished him rather early. I, uh, the third fight, I thought that uh, it was a close fight that could have went either way, uh, but I think that Figueredo did land the, the more punishing shots and uh, was able to get some, land some takedowns as well, so I thought the right guy won, even though it was razor, razor thin. Um, I just think that here in this fourth fight, I think Figueredo is still going to have those advantages on the feet, being the more powerful guy. Brandon Moreno is going to be uh, – he's going to have more towards Arsenal in terms of kicks and everything, but Figueredo is going to be the more powerful guy. Uh, he's going to mix it mix it up with some wrestling. I think that really helped him in the, in the third fight. Uh, I think that uh, mixing it up and everything uh, is going to help Figueredo. And then I think that as long as the weight cut is is on par, which he looks he looks great if you look at his uh, his Instagram and uh, – he says he's he's only got a few pounds yeah. uh, to cut, so I think he's got that weight cut down. So I think that's the only thing that that made him lose to Brandon Moreno in that second fight. So I'm with you. I, uh, give me Figueredo to uh, beat Brandon Moreno. Is this another thin decision where maybe at the end of it we're all kind of wondering what the judges are going to do? Or is this a scenario like Volkanovski and Holloway where after two debatable decisions you get one guy clearly outpacing the other? I kind of think so I kind of think that we're going to, we're looking more towards a Volk Holloway type fight because um, Moreno's coach, like James Krause yeah. is not going to be in his corner. So I think that's something that's going to, that's going to play a, a part, a play a factor in here. But I think that Brandon Moreno is so skilled that he's going to make this a scrap, but I think that Figueredo is probably going to win this, but it's not going to be, but it's, it's going to be more decisive than the last one. I think he's going yeah. to be the clear uh, winner in this one. I will say this. I, I, I thought Kai Kara France was way ahead in the fight against Brandon Moreno until Moreno got the finish. Um, I don't know if that equates to what happens in this one, but um, I, I did feel like, like Kai Kara France was doing what he wanted to do. And similarly, I think Davison Figueredo and, and Kai Kara France share a little bit of uh, the same advantages in, in that matchup specifically. All right, the... Light heavyweight championship of the world currently is vacant as Yuri Prohaska vacated due to injury following what was the fight of the year in my mind in 2022. And still, I watched it again the other day. One of the best fights I think I've ever seen in the history of the UFC. Uh, Glover Teixeira will try and become a two-time champion against Sweet Dreams' Jamal Hill in the main event on Saturday night. Oddshark.com has Jamal Hill at minus 121, minus 105, for Glover Teixeira. This is a fun matchup. I'm beyond intrigued to see what it looks like. I think I, I just, if I'm going to really just simplify this, number one, this is a, a giant step up in competition and I think just platform for Jamal Hill, uh, which is interesting. And now you're putting him in Brazil. Uh, a lot of very new elements, I guess, for Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira. Um, I kind of just look at this as Jamal Hill's either going to knock him out in the first round or I think Glover Teixeira is either going to get him on the ground and finish him or over the course of multiple rounds, just wear him out. Um, I, I think that, you know, we saw, we saw like, remember Paul Craig uh, submitting uh, Jamal Hill? Uh, what was that? Was that last year or 2021? I don't feel like it's that was been... 21. 
It's okay, 21. Um, Glover Teixeira not only has really good submissions, but just in terms of grounded pound and ability to wear you down physically because of his size, um, I, you know, I, I think this fight will be over if it does go to the ground. Um, it, the question to me is not if Jamal Hill will land that shot. It's does it put Glover to sleep or, like we've seen so many times, Glover has a chin from hell and he can take punishment to be able to get to you and either land those big shots, like we talked about earlier with wrestlers being able to land big shots because you're so worried about the takedown, or actually getting the takedown itself. I just think Glover is so well-rounded versus Jamal Hill, and I'm going to bank on the the chin that we've seen from him to at least stand up long enough for that to become a factor. But um, Jamal Hill has the type of power that, it, similar to Der Derek Lewis, where I don't think you can count him out because one shot potentially ends the fight. There's very real danger for Glover in this fight, but I will say, for me, it's going to be Glover Teixeira. So for all the reasons that you just said, um, the the easy pick would be uh, Glover Teixeira. Uh, you know, specifically the the big step up in competition. Uh, Jamal Hill, while he's had some really really good wins, he hasn't had that signature win. That's like okay, he's ready for the title now. Um, he still hasn't had that yet. But I, the the Santos win was a step in the right direction. But you did see a lot of things, especially in terms of this matchup, that will that would lead one to believe that Glover Teixeira would have his way with Jamal Hill. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Jamal Hill because um, I'm banking on a couple of things. One, I really like Jamal Hill. I, he's 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 grown to be one of my favorites <laughs> like in too. the lightweight division. <laughs> um, but another one is normally when. When you have a war, the type of war that uh, Yuri and Glover had, that next fight, when when your chin gets touched, it doesn't hold up well. So I'm, especially when you're fighting a guy like Jamal Hill, who's got such power, um, his pressure is always going to be there. I think that early on, Jamal Hill is going to be able to land something. Uh, he's going to be able to keep Glover off of him uh, long enough to land something uh, to win the fight. I think that um, I think that. If he can, the, those first two rounds, I think he'll be able to keep Glover off of him and not just be throwing haymakers. I think Jamal Hill is is uh, he, he's going to be pressuring him, but I think I like his calculation. I like how yeah. he measures his opponents before he actually lands the kill shot, and I think he'll be able to land the kill shot before Glover is able to get him to the ground. So, um, yeah, man, uh, give me Jamal Hill uh, by knockout in the first two rounds. Uh, we're going to have a new light heavyweight champion. Or nice. We're going to have a new heavyweight champion regardless. But uh, give me Jamal Hill. I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the power of Jamal Hill. That, to me, isn't even what I like best about him. To me, and maybe maybe the power comes from this aspect, I feel like his precision is what is so impressive to me. Like the, you know, how, how everybody talks about Israel Adesanya and the, you know, the sophisticated striker that he is and the, the precision, like... Maybe not with the feet with Jamal Hill, but in terms of his hands, like I feel like he is just so sharp and on the money with where he's putting his shots and and landing. It's not wild, like it is to the spot, and he hits. Like the accuracy with his hands is is next level. That to me, for as much as we're talking about the power, that to me is what makes him special. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and and when he's out there, he's not just going out here throwing the haymakers right. every time. Uh, 
like if you go and you watch that Johnny Walker fight, like that precision, like that, that you were talking about, is on full display. Um, the way that he just he measured him, and Johnny Walker did not know. I don't think he really knew how to properly move to, to avoid that strike. Uh, he just did a great job of just picking a shot and, and letting it go at the right time and getting that knockout. Same thing with Jimmy Crute, um, which is a which is a good little indicator on how this fight possibly could go. He caught Jimmy Crute coming in. Uh, Jamal Hill knew that Jimmy Crute wanted to wrestle him. Yeah. We know that Jimmy Crute is a very good wrestler. So he caught him coming in uh, twice. The first shot didn't put him out, but he didn't go out and go crazy trying to finish him. He let him get back up, and then he caught him again trying to come in. So I think that that's something that could potentially come into play here. Glover trying to come in, trying to force a takedown uh, because Jamal Hill is not really trying to uh, press him like that. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how Jamal Hill approaches this. Because I think his style is just move forward uh, every uh, second of the fight, but he was very patient with Tiago. Yeah, he was very patient, but he was still pursuing yeah. it. Um, but with that being said, I still think that that might play into Glover's uh, advantage because he's going to be there for Glover to try to take down. Right. Now it just depends on how on how precise that uh, Jamal Hill with this sh- is with his shots. And then is Glover going to get sloppy trying to get a takedown? So there's a lot of questions that come into play, but it is a striker versus grappler match. And, I mean, both guys have clear passive victory. We'll see what shines through. In terms of the prelims, uh, we can run through a few of these. Uh, Shogun Hua in his retirement fight. I love the fact that he's getting this opportunity to do it in front of the Brazilian crowd for a guy that is absolutely a Hall of Famer and, uh, you know, one of the guys that was a staple in the sport uh, for, I feel like, not as far back as I can remember because I was watching the the you know UFC one two and three on the VHSs, but um, you know in this I guess more modern era of what the UFC is now. I mean I, I remember Shogun Hua being staple of the sport. Yeah, I mean Shogun was a was a huge thing in Pride. You know that was where right. um, a lot of the old fans were remembered. Shogun was one of the best to ever come out of Pride, uh, but his UFC run wasn't as good as you as his Pride run. But he became world champion in the UFC, so he did beat Machida uh, for the title. He had that epic, epic uh, fight with Dan Henderson, one of the best fights in UFC history. Um, so, like, he's, he fought the best. He, he lost the title to John Jones. Uh, he fought Chuck Liddell. Uh, he fought Forrest Griffin. Like, he fought the best of the best. Uh, he's been around this long. Um, but, yeah, his UFC and his pride runs yeah. uh, made him a legend. Uh, he's a legend of the sport, legend of Brazil, MMA, and, you know, it's t- you know, it's sad to see him go out, but I think it's so good to see that he's doing it in front of the uh, his home country in Brazil. Uh, there's no better way for him to go out. So I'm happy for him. I hope he gets a win. For those that don't know, Gregory Rodriguez, the RoboCop, um, another fighter to pay attention to on these prelims in the middleweight division. Last time we saw him, we could literally see his skull as he was beaten up so badly, Will, and ultimately came back and won the fight. And every time we've seen him in the octagon, he's just been fantastic fight of the night type of performances each and every time yeah this guy is uh, is made out of i don't know but the fact that we could actually see inside this guy's skull was was uh, was incredible i've never seen that before and he came back to win the fight i mean chitty in Jikawani hit him with the most perfect knee and, and he still came back and won the fight um he's always in fun fights he always shows good power um i'm i'm excited to see him back man and, and he's going to be in front of the brazilian crowd so uh, he should be. He should put on another uh, spectacular performance. The uh, the the Bonfim brothers, two big time prospects in this sport, both on this card. Uh, both were contender series winners uh, this past season. Um, I've heard nothing but glowing things about both guys. Both guys looked really good inside the octagon. Um, I will say, 
is uh, Ishmael Bonfim has the big time matchup against Terrence McKinney that is probably will one of my favorite car one of my favorite fights on the entire card. Yeah, that both both those guys didn't get easy fights coming in. He's very very skilled, very very talented, and then on top of that, uh, Munir Lizez is is no slouch. He, he's yeah. going to be a tough out for sure for uh, for Bonfim. So both both brothers are getting some tough fights, but they both should be exciting because uh, McKinney's going to push the pace. He's going to try to get a knockout. And Lizette is always in is always in fun fights, so both fights should be good. All right, last one, and we will wrap this thing up, uh, saving the best for the for last in terms of the prelims and who I want to see fight the most. Jailton Almeida will a guy that we have both I think viewed as potentially a two division title contender. Man, that guy is so good. I mean, like there's those guys that you just know, like Hamza. When when we saw yeah. him. Sure, he fought Reese McKee in his first fight, but you just knew that there was something about that guy that's special. Yep. Um, Johnson Almeida has that, and he has, and he's showing it in two uh, weight classes already. I mean, he's he's six five, I believe. He, uh, he might be six six, uh, chiseled, um, quick. He's got an arsenal of strikes. Like this guy is good, and he's got a ground game as well. Like he's got everything. But we'll just see. Like he's going up in competition, fighting Shamil Abdurrahimov. <laughs> I purposefully and, didn't say the matchup, wondering know, if you were going to throw know. it out. I, I know. I know. <laughs> you did not say his name. I know, man. That's crazy. You did me like that. But um, <laughs> Well done by you, by the way. You nailed it. Yeah. I even said it slow, just so you know, man. I got this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, Shamil's a tough guy. He's, he's, proved, he's proven to be a tough guy to finish. But Johnson Almeida has proved that he's a finisher, so – Something's got to give. And Will Johnson Almeida gas himself out trying to finish Shamil? Uh, we'll see. But I think that uh, Johnson is a special prospect and that this will probably be another uh, flying color performance for him. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see what this looks like and another brilliant performance like we've seen in the past. Uh, I can't wait to have the conversation next week about maybe what is next for him should he capitalize on this opportunity. Will, Saturday is going to be a ton of fun. First pay-per-view of the year. Big names, big matchups, a couple titles on the line, and what will be a hostile atmosphere in Rio. I cannot wait, and we'll do it again next week, my friend. Ooh, vamos, We'll do it again, man. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean that to you. I just know that that's akin to the, to the Brazilian yeah. faithful. Yeah. <laughs> that we're going to hear that chant um, throughout the entire night. So, yeah, I can't wait for this Saturday, man. It's going to be a ton of fun. That is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. That is it for this edition. Back next week following the first pay-per-view of 2023 UFC 283.